This is the Let's Get Real Estate Show with your host, Danielle Chason. Full-time investor, strategic consultant, motivational coach, sought-after speaker, and host of your number one real estate investing show, Let's Get Real Estate, where real people are doing real estate. Hey, I'm Seth Ferguson, and I am on the Let's Get Real Estate podcast with Danielle Chason. We're going to be talking about multifamily real estate funds and the current market trends. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody, it's Danielle Chason here with the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. I am bringing to you today, Mr. Seth Ferguson. Woo, woo. Hey, Seth, Seth is in the house. Miss Danielle, hello, hello. I'm super excited to have you on today because we are gearing up for the multifamily conference and I'm so stoked about it. So stoked. And for those of you who don't know about it, I want you to stop driving, pause the podcast, just take a minute and go to your browser and type in multifamilyconference.ca and buy a ticket. I'm telling you, you won't want to miss it. Um, and Seth Ferguson, for you guys who don't know who he is, he's actually the founder of the multifamily conference, which is going to be a big, big party downtown Toronto. We're going to have so much fun. I'm going to be there with Seth. So you guys are going to see me there as well. And, uh, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited for this, Seth. You have no idea. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so pumped. Yeah. So pumped. I know me too. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so back to, back to the podcast, Seth, if you don't know who Seth is, of course he's the founder, like I said, but he's been a long time real estate investor. He's been in real estate forever. He's owned, um, throughout his real estate journey. He started as most of us do in single family residential and now has bumped himself all the way up to multifamily residential. And also, I'm super excited about your fund that you're building out right now and bringing in partners. I mean, you're just structuring all of these beautiful things. I mean, that is the natural progression and the evolution of a real estate investor. And you are the epiphany of that, my friend. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to be here, Mademoiselle. I should have said Mademoiselle Danielle. That, <laughs> that rolls off the tongue quite nicely. But yeah, su super excited. Yeah. So today, today we're going to dive in. We're going to talk about uh, the economy and buying multifamily. I mean, everybody wants to get into multifamily right now because in a down economy, it does tend to have a little bit more resiliency because we don't have to deal with comps and the market, the real estate market and what your neighbor is doing and selling their house for if they're in financial distress. And so it's not recession proof, but it certainly has some more resiliency. And uh, we do uh, we do know about a little bit of turbulent times, and Seth is um, has gone through a couple of economic cycles. So he's going to share a little bit about um, his story, his journey, his experience, and what we can do as investors to protect ourselves in these really volatile times. So uh, before we do that, though, Seth, I would love if you can share with your uh, with our audience your journey coming into real estate. So what was your, what was your life before real estate and that got you here? Oh boy. Well, yeah. So my life before real estate was centered around hockey. That's a very Canadian thing to be <laughs> centered around hockey. No joke. So basically um, my, my goal was to make the NHL as a hockey referee. Um, so I worked a bunch of different leagues, went down to the States, did that full time, came back. Um, and, uh, I got to work with, uh, some really talented people who made it to the NHL. I did not. 
Um, but uh, I can turn on the TV and I probably know half the guys on staff right now, which is pretty cool. Um, but once that dream kind of died, I needed a real job. And I said, hmm, listen, like, I still want to do hockey. Uh, being a real estate agent, oh, you make your own hours. It's, uh, it would be so easy. I, I, can, uh, I can do hockey and real estate both at the same time. So I got into uh, real estate um, brokerage. And uh, I realized pretty quickly that's not the case at all. Everybody thinks it's easy money getting your real estate license and selling houses. Uh, you actually have to put a lot of work into it. Um, but I, I ended up doing really well in it. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a point where I realized that, you know, my money, the commission checks were coming in, but the, the money was going out just as fast. Like I had the nice car. I had like the, the house with like waterfalls in the pool. Like I had all this stuff. Um, but I wasn't really building anything because, you know, the money came in and it went out just as fast. So um, that's when I kind of discovered, you know, like, like the rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki, the cash flow quadrant. I really started learning about, you know, what actually makes a successful business, what makes a successful investor, what makes a successful portfolio. Um, and at that point, I just started, I decided, hey, you know, I'm selling this stuff on a daily basis. I've got the inside edge. Like I should just start acquiring these properties. So uh, my partner and I, at the time, we started acquiring single family homes, like duplex conversions, like uh, condo, like detached house, like all, all that kind of stuff. And uh, started started the crazy adventure from there. And then I made a whole bunch of mistakes along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about those mistakes because we can learn from those mistakes and avoid them. So, <laughs> so when you started buying, yeah, what, what kind of mistakes did you encounter that stand out to you today? Yeah. So um, the very first mistake I would say I made was, you know, I was of the mindset. And I think a lot of people come into real estate investing with this mindset, thinking that you have to own everything, the whole piece of the pie. You have to self-manage. You, you do all that kind of stuff. And that really limited my thinking and it, it kept me thinking small. So because what you know we were doing was we had these this big chunk of money, purchase a property, you know, we saved up again, purchase another property, leverage one property, buy another property. I it didn't really dawn on me um that you know you could actually go bigger. Like I would drive by these apartment buildings and think that you would have to be a huge corporation, a big life insurance company, a really loaded family to afford to buy these apartment buildings. Um, if I would have had a more open mindset and explored more, um, I probably would have gone into the bigger stuff sooner. Um, the, the other mistake uh, would be, you know, I was investing in the GTA and uh, the the cash flow wasn't very strong. So I ended up being very equity rich, but cash flow poor. And that presented a lot of challenges, especially when it comes to financing, right? Financing on the residential side, the bank, the lenders looking at you, you know, your personal income has to carry uh, the debt, has to service the debt. The bank doesn't really look at the property and what the property is producing. Um, and I found that very limiting uh, because, you know, you needed an arm and a leg and your firstborn child just to get your first mortgage. Try getting the second, third, fourth and fifth, but like it, it just got harder and harder. And it kind of felt like I was like banging my head against the wall and not getting anywhere. Um, and like the one example that really stands out for me is we had this duplex and the drain out to the sewer, a tree root, like punched right through it. It needed to get repaired and it cost like eight grand to fix it. And that was literally like three years worth of positive cash flow that were gone 
and just this one incident because like the equity, the appreciation was there, but the cash flow was non-existent and it was a duplex, right? So I, I think, you know, one of the realizations I came to was, yeah, like I've made more money owning the real estate than I had, than I was making like in my earned income, but the type of real estate I was investing in did not fit with my long-term real estate goals. So I, I needed to make a switch and that's, that's where I eventually ended up with multifamily. Um, but yeah, j- just like the, the small mindset now, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have anybody who was a real estate investor in my family. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have like a best friend whose dad like owned a bunch of real estate. So I, I was basically starting from scratch and trying to figure out, you know, things as I went. And that was before, you know, podcasts became really popular. That was before like YouTube really blew up. Um, so I, you know, I, I just wish I had a, a, a better open mind and I asked more questions and I found people, I, I should have sought out people who had the knowledge and experience because I would have gone down a totally different path. Absolutely. And I think that's the key is getting out there, getting the exposure, getting around people that are thinking bigger so that can open your mind. But of course, in order to do that, not only do you need that knowledge, but you also need to have those resources. So making those connections with those people Um, once you open your mind to partnering with people and learning how to properly partner with people, which is very, very critical, um, then you're able to do bigger things. You're laughing. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, yeah, you, you want to partner with the right people. Um, like, like you don't want uh, money to disappear (laughs) in the middle of the night. And it happens. Like it, it, it does. It does. Um, but uh, yeah, like when you're partnering with people, and I think actually interesting, uh, speaking of the multifamily conference. So last year, Joe Fairless uh, was on stage, very successful guy. Like he's, uh, he's over 2 billion now in assets under management. Uh, he and I spoke about partnerships and, and the big mistake he, he sees with people partnering is they always find somebody who's very similar or they bring a similar skill set to what they have. So you may have an outgoing people person, they'll partner with another outgoing people person because they get along, but that's not what's going to build a strong partnership, right? Like if you're looking for a true partnership, you need to find somebody that's going to bring the missing pieces of the puzzle. So you're almost, it's almost like opposites attract. So if you're like the outgoing capital raising, like investor friendly face, you probably need the analytical, uh, you know, numbers crunching person who hates talking with people, but they know their way around a spreadsheet and they can see things that other people can't like, that would be a great partnership. Um, and I, I made that mistake and also just making sure you have the agreements and the paperwork in place in case something does go wrong. I didn't do any of that stuff. So before you partner with anybody in real estate, like go talk to a lawyer who's like been around, who's seen things happen. Uh, because you know, if I would have done that, um, you know, I probably could have saved some of the uh, properties that ended up uh, going down the toilet and uh, and come out of it a, a lot better because it, it, things got really, really messy when things fell apart. So talk to a lawyer, like get some advice, you know, talk with other, you know, real estate investors who've been around, who've seen things that, that everybody's got battle scars, but that's how you learn yourself. Like just have those conversations and, and try and avoid the mistakes, the obvious mistakes that other people have made. Um, because, you know, trust me, it's not fun. So if, if you can avoid it by taking those steps, like definitely do it. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't 
highlight this any better than you have. Like, honestly, this is one of the critical pieces when you're partnering with somebody is to have the paperwork and you do it at the beginning because at the beginning, we're all willing, we're all able, we're being fair with each other. And that's where you're going to have the fairest agreement between yourself and your partners. And then you put it on paper because if you don't, and I'm sure this is what happened to you, Seth, you can't agree on anything on the back end. So once we start disagreeing, we disagree about everything and you can't come to a resolution. Your contract your partnership agreement is your dispute resolution mechanism that will help resolve a lot of the disputes that you have and really save the pain and time too. Like how much time did you waste just going back and forth trying to solve this, right? Oh, (laughs) we're talking over a year and like I I lost so much money in, in that, but it's like, and, and it doesn't even have to be malicious. Like sometimes like, you know, let's say you're in a deal for five years, somebody may genuinely forget exactly what was discussed. Uh, and, you know, I, I know of situations where people have, uh, have been adamant, like this was discussed, but then they go back, review the paperwork. It's like, oh, sorry, like my mistake. Like I thought it was this, but obviously we agreed to this. And, and that just eliminates any, you know, emotional reaction because like, you know, if it was drafted on paper, obviously that's what was agreed to at the time. Um, and, and then also too, like you have to protect yourself. What happens if one partner disappears? What if, what if uh, that partner takes actions uh, that could damage the property or the portfolio? Um, what, what, if it, what happens if they engage in fraudulent activity? How can you shotgun them out? Is there a buyout provision that's like automatic if certain criteria exist? That's all the stuff that has to go into it, not only to protect you, but you also have to protect your tenants. Like, you know, in my situation, there was a flood in the basement and somebody didn't want like, you know, um, the, the issue was not repaired uh, as quickly as possible because somebody was trying to... Uh, you know, uh, sewer the portfolio. So like there's everybody else is affected to it. Your other investors, if you're bringing in investors, the tenants yourself, like the property itself. So you owe it to yourself to like spend some money, get, get, uh, you know, get quality legal advice, talk with other investors and, uh, and really start it the right way, which is on paper with everything above board. I couldn't agree more. That is so, and so many, it's really sad to say, but there are so many people that I talk to who say, oh yeah, yeah, no, I trust this person wholeheartedly, or I have known this person forever. And it really breaks my heart because more often than not, those partnerships come to an end. Like, honestly, I just feel like employees and partnerships and whatnot, there is like an expiry date to that at some point. It could be death and maybe it's, it is the lifetime and it's death. But if you don't have it on paper, what happens in the event that one of the partners dies? Now, what do we do? Because, you know, you're dealing with their estate, right? And so even in that case, there's an expiry date to all relationships. And so... Yeah, yeah. Or, or, you know, maybe an investor that you have with you on the deal really needs their money out. Maybe some a catastrophic situation happened. You know, what are, what are the terms for that to happen, right? If it's not discussed up front, if it's not laid out, then you're going to get into some pretty messy uh, situations. Yeah, how messy, Seth? <laughs> real, real messy. <laughs> uh, you don't want to know. <laughs> You don't want to know, but I, I have some extra gray hair now on the side because of it. So, <laughs> well, now you just look more mature, more experienced. That's experience right there on the side. That, that's that's right. <laughs> oh boy. 
Well, listen, so I digress. I'm sure there's a pain point for you. So we'll move on. But uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that for sure. So now let's say we're going into economic times that are really turbulent. Uh, for the last, you know, decade, 12 years, we've really had a great actually, maybe maybe even longer than that. We've had a really great run as real estate investors. And a lot of real estate investors that are in the market right now that are active have never seen a downturn. They've never been in an active in real estate in a downturn cycle. And it's happened very, very, very fast. So let's talk a little bit about the benefits of multifamily and how to navigate those waters and make sure that you can survive this downturn and come out on the other end. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, this is exactly why I looked at when I was getting into multifamily, right? Because like, I, I knew single family homes wasn't the right fit. So I looked at self storage, mobile home parks, uh, you know, retail, uh, office space, multifamily. And so what I did was uh, CBRE had published a really good study. They took a look at the past two recessions and then looked at how the different asset classes reacted and how they performed. And you know, and now we can look at the past three recessions, right, with uh, COVID and all that stuff. Like, you know, multifamily has outperformed every other commercial real estate asset class out there. Uh, right now, during COVID, industrial uh, with, uh, you know, double uh, A uh, you know, warehouses, like they performed really well as well. Like we call it the Amazon effect. But multifamily has been rock solid because it's one thing to look at an asset and how it performs during the good times. Just look at Bitcoin. But then it's a totally different thing. And probably what you should be looking at is, well, how does this asset perform when, uh, you know, when shit gets real, when, you know, uh, when the waters get choppy? And when you look at multifamily um, over the past three recessions now, it's had the shortest downtrend. It's had uh, the, the quickest pickup in terms of positive growth. And it's uh, surpassed the previous market's peak faster than all the other assets combined. So if I'm looking at it from an investor's uh, point of view, I know my downturn my downturns going to be minimal compared to all the other assets out there. I'm going to start seeing positive growth sooner and then I'm actually going to break through the previous peak of the last market faster than all the other assets. Like I don't think you can lose plus your your cash flowing as you hold it uh, d during, uh, during the downturn. So, um, and then also during the downturns, you have more renters, uh, you have, uh, rents going up because there's more competition. I don't think you can lose. Like, that's why, in my opinion, apartment buildings are the very best investment vehicle on the face of the planet. Uh, I'm not sure if you agree or disagree, but I, that's, uh, that's my thinking. Yeah. I'd love to hear why I, I don't know. I, I haven't looked into it, so I can't agree or disagree. I've heard stories that there's other asset classes that are also very well performing in recessions. Um, and I shouldn't say that they perform well, but that they survive better than other asset classes. And so, um, but I've never personally looked into it, so I can't agree or disagree, but I will tell you, I know that there's less volatility in the multifamily in a recession, just based on how it's valued. And the valuation is based on the NOI, which is the net operating income. Like you said, what happens is when there's recessions and people are having struggles financially, they sell their house and they become renters. And so having the rental pool increase, then what happens, you have more competition, there's more demand on the rental units that are available, and that increases the rent. So based on that alone, the NOI or the income on the properties go up, hence increasing that property value. So for that reason alone, it's really 
um, it's, it's really solid when it comes to being able to sustain a re- recession. So other than that, though, what else would you say makes multifamily an advantage over other units that are other asset classes that are available to invest into? Well, I, I think we just have to look at uh, you know what happened during the whole uh, COVID uh, situation. We saw uh, businesses close up. Uh, we had uh, you know people leave the office, start working from home. Where's one place everybody ended up in their house? Like people always need a place to live. And that is the very last thing they will give up because if they give that up, they're on the street. Um, So apartments and multifamily was incredibly stable, right? Because, you know, business people can lose their businesses, right? People can, uh, you know, stop going into the office. There's downsizing, there's layoffs, but people always need a place to live. And, you know, if we look at the trend right now, we have an affordability crisis when it comes to home ownership. Uh, you know, right now, the current market situation is not making it easier. We have inflation eroding, uh, eroding at a pretty high level, uh, people's savings and their income. Um, debt costs are going up. Um, even though residential home prices have come down, it's, you know, when, when you look at the, the debt costs, the cost of carrying the property, nothing's really changed. And when you look at the demog- when you look at the forecast for the next, you know, 30, 50 years, that's not going anywhere. So, you know, we're gradually becoming a nation of renters and, you know, what do people rent? Apartment buildings, like, like that, that's, that's the most cost effective, um, you know, place for somebody to live. And as, as we bring in more immigrants into the country, you know, does somebody buy a house right away if they're moving to a different city? No, they're going to rent first. So I, I think that the pool of renters that we have to draw from, um, the, the, the tenants that make up our communities, it's just going to keep growing and growing over the next, let's say, you know, 50, 100 years. Um, and, and that's, you know, an, another strong reason to get into apartment buildings. Like it, it's serving a need, it's providing, it's providing safe, affordable housing for people. Um, and there's not enough of it out there. So it's a valuable commodity. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned COVID and what COVID showed as far as compared to a business, how multifamily did, because ultimately having multifamily properties is running a business. You're offering the service that you're, or the product that you're offering is housing. And so it is essentially a service, but COVID highlighted the importance of essential services or essential products and housing. What you just said is an essential product. Like we need housing. So it thrived through COVID. And it's one of those things in a recession. This is what opened my eyes anyway, through COVID is that, Hey, essential services and essential products are always going to outperform um, any other product or service that's maybe a, commo- you know, just a, a luxury or a commodity um, that we don't need when it comes to recessions. So absolutely housing is, is for that. And if you look at um, income to the cost of housing, the affordability for a house, like over the last 30 years, the spread just keeps widening and widening and widening. And to your point, People can't afford housing right now. They can't afford to buy a house. So what do they do? They rent. So that's just putting more stress and demand on the rental space. Yeah. And for your Canadian listeners, RBC publishes their RBC affordability affordability index um, consistently throughout the year. It's like every quarter. Like, take a look. If you haven't looked at this before, take a look. And it's pretty eye-opening in terms of where we're at nationally in Canada uh, but also uh, by metro. So you look at Vancouver, Toronto, like all the major cities, 
uh, like you will be blown away at how much of somebody's uh, income has to go towards housing. Like it's, it's mind boggling. It's really mind boggling. And, and the really interesting thing, if you guys do, if you're listening and you do go check this out, just look at it over time and how it's spread over time. The curve that it's like, it's widening. Like the gap is widening exponentially every year. It's just yeah, incredible. But the thing to keep in mind, though, is like Europe's, you know, hundreds of years ahead of us, right? Like we're, we're so new in Canada and the U.S. Uh, you know, you look at the price of real estate in major European cities, like we're nothing really. Um, and, you know, more of the population in Europe rents than they own. Um, and, and that's the exact trend that's happening right now in North America. So, you know, I, I want to get on the on the right side of the trend. I, I want to own uh you know, the product that people have to rent. Um, and and uh, I just see so much runway left in the apartment space. Like it, the current situation is providing uh, or it will provide a lot of opportunity over the next two to three years, but also like long-term uh, thinking about like the macro uh, trends, next 50, 100 years. Like it, there's, it's just going to ramp up even more. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that in Europe and stuff, most people rent, like you're right, they are centuries ahead of us. And you know, Real um, little bit of um, uh, a tip of where the word landlord came from. It was actually because that terminology came from lords of the land. It's an old English term that was converted into landlord. And the lords of the land were dukes and earls and viscounts and all of that. And those were the people that were high profile. And so being the landlord, so you're right, you want to be on the right side of you know, the track. I, I don't know if I can be a modern day countess or duchess. I'm okay with that. Yep. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we actually ju just saw that, you know, when uh, King Charles III, uh, the third um, became king, like you, you have the Duchy of Cornwall, right? And, and that still produces income to this day. And that got passed down to uh, William and it's big money. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not chump change. Yeah. But ultimately, all that means is that they own all of that huge chunk of land that they rent out and they collect income off of. And ultimately, like that's that is the goal for us and for our audience is to put ourselves in a great financial position so that we can live like dukes and duchesses and uh, have a healthy retirement. Right. So let's talk about um, the interest rates and everything that's happening right now and the cost of the cost of debt service going up. And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And what what's your advice to people right now who are struggling? Because ultimately, our debt service has gone up 300, almost 400 times over the last year. And it's scaring people. People are now starting to realize the impact of what that means. And you pile inflation on top of that, where our money is not taking us as far as it used to. Um, it's like a double whammy. Yeah. Um, we can say record breaking, like we haven't seen rates increase, like, like record breaking. Um, and you know, I, I think a lot of factors now, you know, I, I'm pretty sure finance economists will look at this, you know, 30 years from now, and then they'll make all their, you know, uh, all their opinions known at that time. But, you know, we're printing a lot of money, We've had basically free money for the longest time, like like two percent to to borrow money, like that is literally free money. Um, so we, we've basically created, you know, and then we had the whole COVID situation. Whether you agree or disagree with how that was handled, I, I think it just created a perfect storm uh, for what we're encountering right now. We have supply chain issues. 
you know, everybody was, all the central banks were printing money to try and, you know, keep the economy going. We had payouts to the population for not working. Like we have all sorts of crap going on. Um, what, what that's doing is it's making the cut, the, the cost of borrowing money a lot more expensive. Um, and in the multifamily space specifically, where, where people uh, are getting caught, where like last year, the year before, if they were um, if they were financing using bridge debt, so bridge debt, just in case you don't know, is a short-term debt. It, it's, uh, it's less stringent than conventional debt. So it's like a short-term thing just to get you through the improvement of the property. And the plan is you'll roll into conventional financing after that, which will be cheaper and longer, ter- longer term. Um, over the past couple of years, we saw the amount of bridge debt being used go up, like more people were using uh, bridge financing. But now the, the situation is, you know, the property values have dropped. Uh, debt is more expensive. So now somebody's stuck with bridge debt. They can't necessarily finance or roll into conventional debt like they thought they would have a year and a half ago when they acquired the property. So that's going to create some very interesting opportunities um, for somebody looking to purchase and acquire more property because we're going to end up with some more distressed uh, situations and some sellers will be under the gun. Because if your deal's upside down, um, you have a couple options. You can stick it out and, uh, you know, you're in it for the long haul or you can just sell and cut your losses. And uh, I, my feeling is uh, we're going to be in a situation uh, later on this year where people will just cut their losses, which is probably a good decision. Uh, but that'll create some opportunity for people uh, who are able to pick it up, who have the funds ready and they're able to go in with a, with a solid business plan. Yeah, it's almost like the reset button happening, right? It's like, it's filtering out. What is it? Warren Buffett said, you know, when the tide goes out, you get to find out who's swimming naked. And uh, so, yeah. So people who aren't prepared, who maybe took some risks that they shouldn't have taken, or maybe didn't think out through their, their, their strategy, um, they will get caught and it's going to, it's going to happen. We're going to see a little bit more of that. I think we're seeing some of it now, but we're going to see even more in the future. Yeah. I was just, I was just going to say like that highlights the importance of underwriting and how you model your property and do your forecasting. Like, you know, once you've, once you've done your modeling, you have to think about, well, how do I break it now? At what point does it crack? At what point doesn't the deal work anymore? Then you can shore it up. Um, and I just do have to throw in a plug. That's why I'm excited for you on stage at the conference because you're covering underwriting, which is such a very important uh, subject for people, especially now, because you know you have to account for so many different eventualities and possibilities in your deal. Absolutely. And it's not just with the numbers, like you, like you said, you know, what if there is a capital expense that I didn't think about that uh, isn't going to be covered by the cash flow? You got to think about, you know, having a float in your bank account that is going to cover a major expense. So you don't have a cash call to your investors. There's all sorts of things like, what if, I just heard, I just heard this story last week. Investor calls me, half the building collapsed, half of the building collapsed in Ottawa. Like I'm telling you, like it was just a distressed building, but like once one wall, exterior wall collapsed. And so how do you deal with that? Of course, the insurance company is there for that, but you do have to get the work done started right away and start, you know, you got to put people in hotels. You got like, there's certain things that you got to do. So um, there's so many things. I like what you said though. Um, how do I break it? Like, what is it going to take to break my system? And so what is our exit strategy if it comes to that? 
hundred percent, you know, we talk a lot about exit strategies and people say, okay, a plan A, plan B, plan C, but what if plan A and plan B don't work? Does your plan C truly work with um, the changing times? And a lot of people are in that spot right now because their plan A was to do one thing. That's not on, on the table anymore because of the way debt is. Uh, so now they're onto their plan C. So you better have a good one. And, and when you're trying to break your model, it's like, okay, well, what happens if the market really softens up and uh, cap rates increase? Or what happens uh, if occupancy drops? Uh, what happens if rates rise right before the refinance? You know, am I, am I able to put on more debt to get me through that? You know, all these things you have to look at. It's not just, you know, you can't be uh, so focused on, on one eventuality because like, as we're seeing right now, like things are very unexpected. You look at market forecasts from the major firms from a year and a half ago, nobody saw this happening. Even at, uh, you know, at the start of last year in 2022, you read all the big reports from all the, the big players. Nobody was forecasting the debt situation being like it is. So you have to, you have to break your model and understand where the weaknesses are because it may happen. Like hopefully it doesn't, but if it does, you've at least gone through the scenario and you know what, what to do next. So let me ask you this, because I was just thinking about what you had said and, you know, how is it that I could survive this, you know, downturn in the economy or unpredicted? I mean, COVID was unpredicted. COVID was unpredicted, got a people, a lot of people in a lot of trouble. Um, and then now this also kind of unpredicted. We knew something was going to happen and rates were going to start going up eventually. I mean, that was an eventuality, but we did not anticipate what happened in 2022 with the rates increasing as fast, as much and as fast as they did. So what is the one thing that you learned going through that process? Because I'm anxious to share with you and I'm curious if it's the same thing. Oh, boy. Um, I. I learned so much, actually. Like I, I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out like one, one main thing. Um, but I, I would have to say like, oh, geez, I think you stumped me. Because <laughs> like, there's, there's so many different ways I could take this. Okay, let's, let's do yours, and it'll give me time to, to think. Just roll with it. Whatever. Well, I'll share with you mine. While you're thinking about it, I'll share with you mine. So with mine, like right, right out of the gate, cash is king. So a lot of people in our area, and I'll tell you why I think that is because a lot of people see what's happened is when things are good, it's really hard to fail. When the economy is rising so fast and so hot, we're in double digit, you know, appreciation market. Like it's really hard to fail. It doesn't matter what strategy you're in or what asset class, right? Um, so they're able to borrow, borrow, borrow and like at really high rates and be a little bit careless. And then they can just refi it out because they got double digit appreciation. So it's really easy to make money in that sense. But in this downturn economy, if you don't have the cash and you're over leveraged, those are the people that are going to get hurt. And so cash is king, not just cash as in having cash in the bank and some liquidity, but also your cash flow because the cash flow is what's saving people right now from being able to survive this debt increase because they're able to pay their mortgage payments that have gone up. So a cash, cash is king. That was my biggest lesson. Yeah, no, there's so many different, different ways to, to go from that. So like, you know, you never want to put bad debt on a good piece of real estate. Um, and, and we've seen that happen. You know, I, I mentioned the bridge financing. Uh, bridges, bridge financing is a great tool, um, but it wasn't being used uh, you know, with, with, uh, with 
you know, right now, like it caught people unaware. So they, they got stuck. Um, also like, you, uh, leverage is a double-edged sword, like it, leverage debt is an amplifier, right? It'll, it will amplify your success, but it will also amplify your losses on the way down as well. And we're seeing that right now. Like we, we've seen a bunch of bankruptcies happen, people going, uh, belly up, uh, with the, um, you know, with the rates increases in, in a bunch of different asset classes where, uh, you know, they were just banking on future growth that had, did not materialize and they were banking on cheap money. Um, but I, I think like for, for me, like, you know, what, when I'm thinking about what I've learned the, the past, you know, couple of years and seeing like, it's, it really comes down to systems and people. And that's the, the more I'm involved and the more I'm involved with like business in general and like doing some cool stuff in real estate, like the, the power of partnerships and people, I, I think that is the biggest thing. Um, and, and now with, with a lot of stuff I'm doing, I'm not asking like what I can do. I know it's cliche. It's not, it's not what it's, it's who, but it's so true. And, and I, I, I had avoided that for the longest time. Um, but, but now I'm realizing like I'm looking at the most successful people operating right now in business and, and their partnership, their, their ability to create partnerships, um, and joint ventures is unreal. And, uh, I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can about that. And, you know, if you're in a tough situation, let, let's say you're in a tough situation in, with a property, maybe it's a, just a matter of bringing in the right partner who, who might have different assets, who, who might have different skill sets, and you guys can get out of it together. Like, like that, that may be the solution to get out of a, a pickle. Yeah. I think, um, you know, swinging back around to partnerships, and I, I'm in the same boat as you, where I took a long time before I partnered with anybody. I did everything on my own. And just in the last two years, I onboarded some partners and started working with partners. And it was a game changer. So for those of you who are listening, I'm telling you, partnering is a game changer because one plus one in a in, a, in business equals three when it comes to partnerships. You're going to get so much more done faster. But I think it's important to note, Seth, everything you said about the partner, you do have to find people that will fill the gaps in the in your business. So whatever you're weak at is what you want to look at for a skill set from those partners. But for me, what's important is the integrity, the like the core values, integrity, your morals, um, where, and what your goals are, they all have to be in alignment. Otherwise, if it's not in alignment, it won't work. Right. So, um, but partnerships will make a difference and they will help you through a storm. So again, talking about the economy and how to weather that storm, um, that's definitely a way to do it. Seth, Seth, the multifamily conference. So excited. <laughs> I am I am so excited and especially to have you on stage this year like that that's that's going to be so cool so cool I'm really looking forward to it so um so I want to ask you about that I, I want to touch just a few minutes before we stop because I do want to talk about the multifamily conference a little bit and I want you to share with the audience like what value will they have by coming to the conference so that like give them a little bit of nuggets over what they're going to learn and what they're going to pick up so why should they come to the to the multifamily conference Well number 1 cuz Danielle's coming so you got to be there um but uh number 2 like in real estate, it's all about your network and your connections. 
uh, you look at the most successful real estate investors and what they're doing, it's all about increasing their their network and finding the right people that they need right now in their business. So, you know, at the conference this year, May 26th to 28th, like you're going to have about 3,000 investors there. And from all over Canada, all over the US, different uh, you know types of multifamily real estate, different strategies. If you're looking for a possible investor, you're like there's somebody there for you. If you're looking for a partner, chances are somebody's there for you. If you're looking for a specific skill set, somebody's going to be there, and everybody's coming there to level up the business. So if you're brand new. You're going to get the foundation. We've got a Friday boot camp that will walk you through all the basics so that way you can take full advantage of, you know, when Grant Cardone's on stage talking about how he built his $4 billion funds. Um, or if it's like Janet LePage talking about how she scaled her company to over $3 billion. Like you're, you're going to be able to take those lessons. And when Danielle's on stage talking about like underwriting and modeling, you'll be able to understand um, if you do the boot camp um, but uh, the conference isn't just for beginners. Like we've had people, like we have people coming with, you know, $500 million portfolios, $100 million portfolios. Like Joe Fredless was there last year. Like he's over 2 billion. And these are people looking to scale up, whether it's improving um, their fund offerings, whether it's doing their first fund, doing their first syndication, you know, we've got it. We've got everything multifamily covered from, you know, from beginners all the way through to very, very successful operators. And you know what? That's the thing. The journey of a real estate investor, there, there's a very, like, as I've traveled it and as I've spoken to others and they're traveling it, some are behind me, some are ahead of me. And it's very, very unique. And the nice thing about real estate and these real estate events, such as the multifamily conference, is that everybody who's there has either, is either going to where you are or they've been to where you are and they're there to help. And everybody just wants to collaborate. People don't who come to these events are collaborators. So they do want to help and share. And there's a lot of lenders that go to these events to connect with the people that are active doing it. So if you're looking for money, it's a place to go. If you're looking to place your money, it's the place to go. And if you want to be in real estate and meet really cool people, then it's definitely the place to, to, to go. Like I'm telling you, it's, I'm just so excited. It's going to be a party. Um, it's going to be a big party. <laughs> Oh, well, speaking of parties, Danielle, so like I, um, like I literally rented out the CN Tower. Um, so we've got a party there Saturday night, and then we've got like the after party on Sunday. I rented out Rebel Nightclub, which is probably the best nightclub in the city. Um, but yeah, like, like if you actually, if you go on the website, multifamilyconference.ca, we put just like a, a, a little bit of all like the, uh, like the messages we got, the pictures, like all the uh, social media posts people made last year just to show you kind of what people thought and like their experience, but no joke. Like I still get messages every single week from people who were at the conference in 2022. And they're still sending me messages about like how it impacted their business, how it made them level up and like force them to go bigger. Like it's like, I never expected that when we did it last year, but it's just turned into a really, really cool thing. So check out what everybody else said. Like, don't take my word for it. Like it's going to blow your mind. It's so true. And I actually brought my 16 year old son last year. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we were sitting. Yeah. And what you said about like mind opening, like now his mind has been blown open. Like he thought real estate looked a certain way. And now he's like, oh, wow, I had no idea. And so it is really definitely for from like beginner novice all the way up to the experienced investor, um, because I also took away a lot of great relationships and great nuggets from the stage. So 100 percent. I hope to see you all there. And talking about parties, I think uh, we might be doing little parties. So for people that want to use my affiliate link, which is in the show notes, if you want to buy a ticket, use the link below. That way I can have your email address and make sure to invite you because I think it's not set in stone yet, but I believe we're going to be having a pre-launch party to the event. Sorry, Seth. I know you're doing lots of partying, but um, I just think it's going to be a whole weekend of partying and I'm going to contribute my little part to that. So um, we're also going to have a couple of other, other bonuses and stuff as well. Uh, my book, uh, if you use the affiliate link and some other resources. So I'm probably discounts to my co coaching. So um, all kinds of fun stuff. Use the link below. If you don't have your ticket yet, you want to click on that, buy your ticket, get the bonuses and come and see me and Seth at the multifamily conference. And in the meantime, if you want to reach out to Seth and find out about his fund, because you are doing exciting stuff too, my friend, with building the fund. Um, if you want to reach out to Seth, um, talk about how you can maybe work with him on the active side or the passive side, invest with him. Um, how would they reach out to you, Seth? Yeah, the best place to go is callseth.com. And uh, that it will prompt you. We can book a time to chat. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see where you want to go in real estate and we'll go from there. Awesome. All right, my friend, Seth, it's always nice to see you again. Always a great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time because I know you're just pulling your hair out right now, getting a little bit more gray hairs with this conference coming up because that is not a small undertaking by any means. So um, yeah, I just want to say thank you for your time to come and share with the audience how to manage turbulent times and why multifamily is that asset class that will help you get through those turbulent times. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. No, thank you, Danielle. A bientôt. A bientôt. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and congratulations on improving your education real estate. Please leave a review only if you felt we provided value as it would really help us if you would leave a five-star review so that we can help reach a broader audience. And don't forget to comment what you enjoyed and tell us what you're looking to learn more about. As always, thanks for your support and we'll see you on the next episode.